Hey everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. This is episode number 231 on book writing. Last week I talked a bunch about my book, Practical SVG, with Dave. Uh, And so this week is different. I'm not going to be talking so much about my book, but we've invited a fairly large panel of guests to talk about their books that are in relatively different states. Some of them are just published, some of them published just a little bit ago, and some are in various stages of pre-release. So we have some authors on different subjects, but they're all tech ish design ish and we're going to talk to them about just what it's like so you all get a sense of different people's opinions on what the book writing process is like can you make a living doing it was it worth it do you regret it how long did it take you know did it take you out of the game did it keep you in the game you know i don't know what's the difference really between writing a book and just being a blogger uh lots of stuff to talk about uh in this weird world of tech book publishing so uh let's get into it a little bit please mr dave could you kick things off. Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design development book writing. I'm non-author Dave Rupert, and with me is author <laughs> and blogger Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody. Uh, maybe you listened to last week's show and was all about, uh, well, half about uh, my book. So so we're going to continue that theme, and I'm going to talk less about mine, and we have with us some other authors who have also written tech books recently, so we can kind of dig in and get to the heart of, I don't know, why you write a tech book. What's the, <laughs> I don't know, we have a million questions of, around the subject of, of recent authorship in the tech sphere. And in fact, it was Val Head's idea to do this. Val has a book out uh, as well. Hey, Val. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, uh, uh, and so yeah, Val, you know, had this idea to, to come on and to talk about tech book writing a bit. What is your recent book, Val? So my recent book is called Designing Interface Animation. Uh, I guess it's kind of more a design book than a tech book, but it totally talks about tech things, so we'll go with it. Uh, It just came out on Rosenfeld Media a few weeks ago, and it's all about how to do web animation well, like how to design it really well, how to make it part of your design process, all all of those helpful things. Okay, designing interface animation is valuable, and I'm just going to go around the circle here and introduce everybody who's uh, here, and you can maybe do the same thing and tell us what your book is. Uh, Simon King. Hi. Hey. Uh, yeah, my book is called Understanding Industrial Design: Principles for UX and Interaction Design. So this is also more of, more of a design book, um, though it's really addressing a market that is um, technology-oriented in that I saw uh, when I was working as a design director at IDEO that, you know, increasingly our projects were dealing with that intersection of digital and physical and, you know, the Internet of Things space. And there were a lot of designers who were more familiar with the digital side but didn't have the background in the physical side. So that's what this book attempts to do. It's uh, kind of a, a primer in industrial design for folks who are interested in building that overlap, but don't have an existing background in it. Ah, interesting. So it's about the, the intersection of physical and digital design. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that? Sorry, we're not in the interview portion, but has that taken off just with Kickstarters and everything, people like getting into physical products? It sounds like it's kind of a booming market. Yeah, I mean, particularly for people who maybe used to just make physical products, they're finding that they're, you know, increasingly have a digital component to them. So whether I was working with automotive companies or, you know, healthcare companies, they they found themselves in a space where um, the two were merging in a way that they really needed to learn a lot. Yeah, interesting. Okay, we'll ask more later. I'm very curious now. 
Yeah, okay. Also, we have with us, it's a big panel, so <laughs> buckle in, team. We have uh, uh, Mr. Richard Feldman. You have a recent book out called Elm in Action, right? Yes, from Manning Publications. Uh, currently available for early access. Uh, it's not totally done yet. First three chapters out of ten are out. Um, yeah, so this is a book about the Elm programming language, which compiles the JavaScript, but is very, very different from JavaScript. Um, one of my main goals for the book is... Uh, I've never read a book that works this way, but I, I really want to write one. Um, basically, the, the whole book is structured around building and refactoring one big application. And so as you go through each chapter, um, you're learning new concepts, but in order to build features and add them to your application and then refactor, address technical debt, write tests and stuff. Um, so it's kind of the, the whole code base um, is just evolving as you're learning the language. And uh, so far, it's been well-received, and hopefully people continue to think so. Ah, very cool. I would think that that would make for a good, uh, uh, like a course, you know, like a, 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 a edu- educator could use this to teach it because it has the same kind of structure as a, as a classroom might have. Very true. Don't skip to Chapter 8 in this book, though. <laughs> I mean, you can. You just might be kind of confused about where all this application came from. <laughs> okay, and uh, 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 a longtime Shop Talk show guest, Brad Frost, you have a book um, kind of in a similar state, right? It's in pre-order status called Atomic Design. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's it's done, uh, sort of. <laughs> the, manu- the manuscript is done. But, uh, but yeah, we could, I'm sure we could talk about that. But uh, uh, yeah, my book is all about basically creating and maintaining uh, effective UI design systems. Uh, so sort of covers sort of a methodology or introduces a methodology about how to think about our UIs, uh, talks about uh, style guide pattern library tools, talks about how your process and workflow should adapt uh, to this sort of new reality and then, and then gets into the weeds about sort of how to go about sort of maintaining these design systems uh, once they're once they're built. So it seems like maybe we should morph into uh, and then and then reverse our you know who's talking order a little bit. You introduced the concept of atomic design years ago. Just you know, it's just kind of in you know as a I just happen to know you're a blogger as well, Brad. Uh, it was and and speaker at conferences and stuff. This was the the book clearly came out of that, right? Like I, I had this idea and I wrote a blog post about it. Then I started giving talks about it and it just kind of seemed like a natural extension to that. Is that how it went down? Or was it like, I want to write a book from day one and I'm, I just got to do this other stuff uh, for the research purposes or, you know, like why a book? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not an author. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning, through doing this process, I'm learning. I am not a book writer. <laughs> um, uh, really the, the sort of, rationale behind it it's uh, chris to your point is it sort of started out as a as a talk well it started out as a way of for me to do my projects better i guess and that i eventually talked about it at a conference and then i wrote a blog post about it and then i've been sort of evolving it and sort of uh you know sort of evolving these ideas i guess a little bit more and i see the book as a sort of put, putting a bow on it sort of thing, you know, where it's just like, okay, I have all these ideas. Mm. It sort of dovetails into a lot of the sort of trends in the industry. You know, lots of people are talking about design systems and pattern libraries and stuff like that. So it just sort of made sense to sort of put a bow around this and and have it all in this in, in one place, I guess. It seems like it's, it, I don't know, it becomes a bigger deal in people's mind when you publish a book on it. It becomes like an industry event in, a, in my experience, in, in a way that a yeah, single book Yeah, I'll tell you, um, totally selfishly, um, one of the reasons why I'm doing this is so that I could say author of blah, which totally <laughs> carries more weight. And it's funny, so it's not even done yet. But um, I was just uh, sort of had like a, a little snippet or two in uh, Matt Griffin's new documentary that uh, what comes next is the future. And that's totally the label he chose for me. <laughs> it was like Brad Frost, author of Atomic Design. I'm like, oh, hey, there we go. There's that totally selfish reason why I'm doing uh, this project. And, and so there it is. It's already paying off. I would say in, in my experience that 
it's understandable by everybody, even outside of our spheres a little bit. When you publish a book, it feels like this watershed career moment in a way to them more than it feels that way to me. Like I have a book out now, which is great and I'm proud of it and please buy it and all that stuff. But I had a day the other day where I was like, just doing my regular day. I was killing it on emails. I like, I like answered a ton of emails and I like had this idea for a feature or, you know, this code pen feature that I, I knew I needed to get done. And I just killed it that day. And I just figured out how to get it done and did it and released it. And somebody else had a day like that, another employee of CodePen, and we got their feature out on the same day, and then we blogged it, and it was well received. And then, like some a, f- a few other nice things happened. I'm like, this is what I actually do. That, like, but but that nobody knows that. Like, my family is gonna like send me a text that says, "Congratulations on your excellent and productive day at work today." But if you publish a book, they're gonna be like, "Wow, you wrote a book? That's amazing!" You know. Uh, so it feels, it feels like, I don't know, that was just a confusing thought that I had. Anyway, um, uh, in reverse order, Richard, why a book on Elm? You know, it wasn't actually my idea. Um, what happened was basically Manning uh, reached out to me and the email they sent me was, we've been hearing a lot of buzz about this Elm thing and, and you seem to be a prominent community member. Um, do you think you could help us sort of select a person to write this book? And, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, sure, definitely. And, and I started, I, I got on a call with, um, one of their editors and was just sort of talking about, well, here are the things that I think are really important in an Elm book. And I talked about things like, um, being really practical and really focused on building things because a lot of functional programming books, um, tended to just sort of wander off and get into really academic, um, discussions. And I was like, Elm is not that kind of functional programming language. It's the type where you build things. So the whole book should be about building things. And I kept getting more and more excited about like how I wanted this book to look. And sort of by the end of the call, I was like, hey, what if I wrote this book? Um, can I do that? Which is exactly <laughs> what they wanted you to say, I'm sure. Quite possibly. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, regardless, that's how it worked out. And uh, and yeah, and, and that's, that's basically where I've ended up is, um, you know, I... I, uh, I, I'm very at home in this group of people, like talking about building stuff and designing stuff. And I love, you know, shipping actual things. Um, but I had this friend several years ago who was really into lots of different programming languages. And we used to get lunch together. We worked together. And he would talk to me about um, different programming languages. And he sort of expanded my horizons. But whenever I went out and started to read about these um, I always felt like they were not speaking to me because I'm like, I want to build stuff and I, I want to try building stuff using this style, these techniques that I'm not familiar with. Um, but I always felt like that's not what the books wanted me to do. They always wanted me to, you know, read academic papers and things. Um, and I was like, man, I really wish that a book existed for people like me who are like excited about building things and want to try building things in a different way that might have advantages compared to what I'm used to. Um, and so one thing led to another and now here I am writing the book that I'd wished existed and it's pretty sweet. That's great. I feel like that's a, I can, I can, I can wrap my head around that process. Uh, uh, Simon, I, I probably know the least about this particular subject. I'd be interested in what your, your, your path was into, in the, in the answer to the why a book about industrial design. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people are sometimes surprised by is that, I don't have a background in industrial design. So my background is in interaction design, um, graphic design, web design. Um, but I was working at IDEO, uh, and almost all the projects started to be some kind of overlap between disciplines. And you know, I was interested in learning more about what that meant to really connect digital and physical in, in different ways and realizing that I myself needed a book like this. And so it's it's was actually kind of a way for me to learn more about the topic and formalize um, formalize my own understanding of industrial design, but then put that together into a into a book form that I could share with others. And so I collaborated with my colleague uh, Quen Chang, who is is an industrial designer, where I was writing, but we were really working together on what examples we could pull from and what um, it's a very example driven book. It's each chapter is a different kind of quality of design, you know, like simple or playful or thoughtful. And, and then um, 
the the writing pulls together a bunch of different examples that demonstrate that quality as a way to try to show um, how that can be embodied within a physical uh, industrial design. And so it was it was really a, a way for me to work through some of these ideas. And uh, it, I had never written anything this long form before, um, and that seemed like a challenge that that I was interested in. And so um, you know, I didn't. I didn't have this idea. I, w- I really want to do this book. This book has to exist. It was more that I started a conversation with um, uh, Nick Lombardi, editor at O'Reilly, and we were just talking about possible things that we could work together on, and this emerged out of those conversations. Right. I think I think Dave, you might have some follow up questions for Simon about that, that kind of. Uh something we were talking about earlier, like be, to become an expert first and then write a book or become an expert while writing a book. So maybe we'll get to that uh, in a second. But, uh, but, but Val, finally, what's, what was your kind of path towards, towards deciding this thing needs to be a book? It's, it's, it's like you've been talking about animation for a long time. Yeah, it was, it's kind of a little bit like Brad's where I've been talking about, you know, web animation and how to do it well and like, just how excited I am that we have this new, better option of making animation happen for, you know, for a couple of years. I've been doing a lot of workshops too. And, um, I started getting a lot of questions where people were like, Hey, where can I like find all of this stuff you're talking about in one place? And I'd be like, you can take one of my workshops. And they were like, what if I can't do that? And I was like, huh, good question. (laughs) So that's kind of what got me to the point of thinking like, maybe I should write all this down, put it on all one, all in one place. So I can be like, Hey, here are all the things that I've learned from working with clients, teaching workshops and just playing around with stuff, you know, take it and, and build on that for yourself kind of thing. Um, so that's where that came from. And then while I was working on figuring out what it was I wanted to write and like how, and, you know, trying to figure out if I should self publish or look for a publisher or whatever, um, Along the way, Rosenfeld got in touch and they were like, hey, we think this is an important topic for UX designers. Would you want to like work with us to make this book happen? Uh, which, of course, I was like, yes. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was really nice to have that support and that kind of like, I don't know, the, the, the knowledge that other people were looking for that too was really helpful. But mostly it was to have all of this stuff in one place because I realized I had all these talks and workshops and all this content everywhere and there was you know, it would be easier to share if it was in one thing. Sure. So in part, in part, it was an answer to people who they want, they want more from you or they want like, what is the one thing I can digest from you? And in your answer at first was take a workshop with me, but it, it, <laughs> you understand, you know, not everybody has that kind of right, money I mean, or time or whatever. And this is kind of the answer to that. The Yeah. Then there's only like, I can only be in so many places at once, right? It's kind of like, this is a way to share that with people, no matter where they are, what stage they're at or anything. And that was, that's what made me think of like, yes, this should be a book. Um, And it's a, it's a book with a lot of examples and lots of videos and things, because obviously writing about animation is sometimes maybe a bit weird, but I came up with some creative ways to tackle that. Wonderful. Uh, Dave, do you want to follow up with? uh... Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, just, Chris, I kind of, mentioned it, but I'm really interested in the knowledge journey. Just if you dedicate your like some amount of time, I don't know how long it took everyone to write books that I'm interested in that too. But if you take some amount of time to dedicate yourself to a topic, uh, I, I feel like you become a bit of an expert at, at the end, or maybe you were an expert before. And I'm kind of curious um, what that was like. Um, I, I think I'll, I want to start with kind of Val and Simon, but um, Val, I know you've talked about animation. You're good at animation. but uh, And if somebody has a question about animation, I would say, oh, you need to talk to Val. But do you feel like you, you know, were you – what prompted you to do the web animation? Was it just because it was a hot technology or was it something you actually really like and, or were already an expert in? How did that play out? It was probably because it was the thing I was most excited about, right? Like I wasn't like, I don't know. It was like, I was, was really excited about web animation and what we can do with it and, you know, helping people learn as much as they can about it because the more, you know, the more people learn about it, the more exciting and creative things they can come up with and, and, you know, make new and interesting stuff that I would never think of. And maybe they wouldn't have either before getting into it. So it really stemmed from that, that like the book seemed like a good way to share that. And, 
It was basically just the thing I was most excited about. And I, you know, you, when you have to sit down and write many, many words and pages about a thing, like if it's not something you're excited about, I don't know how people do it. Like there's, there's definitely times in the writing process where like if I didn't really like love this topic and wasn't excited by it still, I probably would have stopped writing. <laughs> You know, there's, yeah. there's those bad days where you're like, oh, I suck at everything. Everything is terrible. Why am I even doing this? And, you know, just being excited about it is what gets you through those bits. And, and, you know, you, and you learn a lot while you're writing too, which I think is really interesting is like, you think, you know, some things and then you go to write about it and you realize maybe you don't know it as well as you thought. So you better do some research. <laughs> oh, interesting. And then Simon, what was your experience? Like you, I mean, you kind of said you were green to this field of physical you know, design, um, how, how did, I guess, what was your knowledge journey like? Yeah. I mean, my, my exposure to it had been through collaborating with others who were experts in it on projects together. And so I think that the thing for me was less, almost less about industrial design in some ways than about this broader idea that the silos between design disciplines need to be broken down or that the best designers are really overlapping between these, these multiple disciplines that, that are sometimes very separate from each other, whether it's, you know, graphic design or interaction design or industrial design. And so I was new to the, to this particular or, or less, less skilled or trained in this particular, um, sort of, zone within design, but had a lot of experience, um, across other domains. And so that's where, uh, I sort of set up the structure that could be, could, you know, could be about these topics per chapter because it was a chance to go and leverage my, my, my understanding of the, you know, this broader field of design to say, okay, well, how, how is this sort of applied or what does this look like? when when um represented in a in a physical form it is and an then, interesting uh uh does, way to lay out a book chapter by chapter is it, are these are these words that are the chapters these uh sensorial simple enduring playful thoughtful those are those are example chapters yeah those are those are the different chapters and you know in some ways it's a bit of a trick so that i'm really writing um you know a series of of, of long essays, more than one, one, uh, one book that is, it has a, has a complete story arc, right? Uh, Because they're somewhat self-contained within those, within those chapters. But, um, it was a chance to use those as a frame to be able to have these conversations with Quen and basically just riff on what does that mean across different domains and across different mediums, um, as a kind of fodder for the material and examples that would then ultimately go into the chapter. I think we can circle back on that. Each one of these being a individual essay, I think we have some follow-up stuff we can do with that. But uh, Richard, you, your, your knowledge journey was that you were already an expert in Elm, right? So are you now like a super expert? <laughs> or did, did you learn about Elm? As so what's really interesting is that uh, I, I knew a lot about the language, but what I didn't realize was just what a completely separate challenge it was to teach things in the right order. Um, so I, I've been sort of fortunate in that I've had this parallel thing that I've been working on, which is uh, doing a workshop for front-end masters um, uh, it's September 8th and 9th. And so along the way, I'd been doing these practice runs for this workshop. And so I'd gotten a lot of experience teaching beginners um, like to how to get from zero Elm knowledge to uh, you know knowing enough to build things. Um, and I was really surprised by just how little I knew about how to teach somebody these concepts because um, I'd been sort of acquiring knowledge about functional programming and things you know over a, over a period of years and the idea of uh, teaching someone who's only familiar with JavaScript um, you know not only a new language with new syntax and things but also just you know how do you build stuff in an environment where you have no mutation everything's immutable and you have no side effects you know it's all just pure functions and stuff like that. Um, and so it turns out that if you do that in the right order, um, it's, it can actually be a pretty gradual, nice experience. But uh, if you do it 
uh, in in the wrong order, or what I think is the wrong order now, <laughs> uh, which is to say how I initially tried to do it. Um, it's just like way unnecessarily difficult. And, uh, and so it was just weird going through this process of uh, I would I would do a, a workshop over a weekend and I would learn things and I would come back and not only would I revise my workshop, but then I'd be like, oh, no, I need to go change, you know, that chapter in the book. Um, and I think I ended up revising, I, probably rewriting chapter three of the book in particular about like four times, like just <laughs> because each time um, I realized that, you know, if I just introduced things in a different way or made, you know, the, the feature set of the application that we were building in that particular um, chapter a little bit different, then uh, then it would be a lot easier for people to pick up um, considering who my readers are going to be. So, yeah, very surprising process for me. So it's kind of like you ha- kind of had to tell the story, tell like make a hundred drafts of this before you got the final product. That was kind of how it worked. Yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of um, trying different things until I sort of realized that uh, you know, like the, the right uh, order to talk about things, such that each thing was sort of building on what you just learned, but also still keeping a coherent overall arc to it where, you, you know, you can sort of see what we're building, you can see why we're building it. And, uh, and yet, you know, along the way, it just feels like you just happen to be, you know, just in the nick of time learning the next thing that you need to build the next part of the application. Wow. Well, I don't have the patience to do that many rewrites. Or it was <laughs> also interesting that you're doing a workshop as well. It's it, it and it seems like a theme here that a book is just one of the things on that topic that becomes part of the the whole of you you in that topic. It's all it's talks and workshops and you do it at work and you write blog posts about it. And it's always a book seems to be to be part of a larger whole usually. So and then Brad is you kind of invented this concept so it's a little weird to think of a knowledge journey on it because there's uh, can somebody else be an expert on atomic design or, or you know what i mean it's not it's not like a specific technology it's more like a concept. I, i'd say that you know of course no one's really invented anything a lot of these concepts and i sort of lay that out in the first chapter is sort of uh you know this notion of modular UI design has been around for a long, long time. It's just becoming a lot more important. So lots of people have discussed this and, you know, Dave, you have a post on, you know, responsive deliverables and tiny bootstraps for every client and stuff like that. So, you know, I, you can't take credit for like a, uh, uh, you know, an overarching sort of trend in the industry, I guess. I think, I think that's sort of, I have some thoughts on sort of buzzwords and how they could actually be sort of a helpful shorthand for those things. And for, for better or for worse, atomic design has sort of become a buzzword to help people talk about what modular design means. And that's cool. Um, but yeah, so, you know, as far as sort of getting this off the ground, I had my own personal experiences and my own sort of work that I, you know, wanted to talk about. And that's sort of how, my knowledge journey started as I guess just sort of, you know, based on my own personal experience working in teams and stuff like that and trying to sort of advance these, these ideas. And it was only really after I sort of cut through that, I'm like, right, well, that's, that's that. Did I really start sort of looking outward as far as doing any sort of like research? I was like, Oh, what are other people doing and and stuff like that? And in the process and Chris, back to your point about uh, sort of having different, sort of channels and mediums, uh, Anna Debenham and I had a, uh, style guides podcast where we interviewed people, uh, who work at different organizations that have successfully implemented these things and talked to them about sort of their own journeys and stuff. And that all sort of fed, you know, found its way into the book as well. So it, it I, I definitely think that, uh, there's, there's certainly some truth about this is like, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a medium by medium thing. Certain mediums are, are you know, better at communicating certain concepts than others. Uh, but I, I, again, I, I think that a book is a great way to sort of put a bow on all this stuff. Like, but I do, you know, I do workshops, I do consulting, I do, you know, we did the podcasts, we run uh, styleguides.io with Anna and you know, a bunch of other people. It's like, there's all sorts of avenues for sort of rounding up information about a specific topic 
but a book seems to be like this nice little encapsulated thing that sort of rounds it all up. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CodePen. CodePen has pro plans, which you can see all of which at codepen.io slash pro. Things like keeping your stuff private. You can write a blog post on CodePen, keep it private, send it around, but still get like email notifications of comments and stuff on it if you want to communicate an idea with your team, but still get, you know, email feedback and stuff. That's uh, great for that. Of course, you can keep your pens private. You can keep your collections private. Private collections are particularly useful because you can put private pens in a private collection and then because the collection is private, you can still see the private pens in there. So send a, a client, for example, six or ten pens that are describing you know, different UI states and stuff. And they can see them all even though the pens inside are private. Drag and drop um, asset uploading. You know, you need to use an image in a pen or a post. No problem. Just drag and drop an image onto the asset uploader and it'll slide right in there. And you can grab that URL and use it for whatever you want. We have live view, we have collab view, we have professor view, uh, we have um, embed themes. You can design and embed to match your own style and feel of your site and do whatever you want. With that look, you get unlimited of those if you're pro. And as a pro feature, you can make them editable. So you can you know, have literally a co- side-by-side code and... Uh, demonstration of that code, the preview of that code, but bring it onto your own site and have it be a live editor so you can be changing that code uh, uh, and watching the preview update in real time, uh, just like you can on CodePen itself. That's pretty nice. I used it in a slide deck recently to show off a concept, had a pre-prepared pen, but then changed some values and watched it change in real time. Worked great on slides.com. Uh, We have pro perks that are involved with it, meaning you get discount on things like Envision and cross-browser testing and Adobe software and Dareboost, all kinds of stuff. If you're a pro member on CodePen, you can, like, (laughs) cover the value of that pro plan very easily by taking advantage of some of these pro perks. And that's not even all of them. There's so much at CodePen.io slash pro. So I have a quick one for, for all of you that would be... That's. I'd be interested to to hear how you're going to answer it. Um, and Brad, you're kind of you're in the middle of this, and uh, uh, Richard, you are too, as kind of a pre pre release version of this. So maybe it's a little harder to answer. But was it worth it? Uh, uh, Brad, do you kind of do you, at any at any moment do you kind of regret promising that you are going to do this? Or are you all about it and excited about it now? Or can you envision a version of your life in which you decided <laughs> not to do this? Oh man, um, yeah, no, there there are definitely moments, but but ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I am so happy I I I did it, and I'm so happy, or I should say, that I'm doing it. And I'd say more importantly, I'm, I'm really, really happy with the way I decided to do it. Uh, you know, just sort of talking about, you know, going with the publisher, not going with the publisher, you know, releasing it sort of all at once versus as a trickle. And like, basically, I sort of had some projects I was burned on that, um, you know, it was sort of all behind closed doors and it ended up falling through. And I was sort of stung by that <laughs> experience of, of sort of, like wow we did all this work and have nothing to show for it um so that that's what sort of led to this mentality of of like you know what i'm gonna do this and not only am i gonna do it i'm going to do it all out in the open and share as much of this as possible warts and all just to get these concepts out there so that i i don't sort of come down from the mountain you know a year and a half later and go behold you know i've, I've written knowledge or whatever it's you know so and it's it's been just absolutely amazing and so if i had to do it all over again uh i would do it and i would do it exactly how i am doing it which i'm 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 pretty pleased about that decision okay cool so and uh, so again richard you you're it's not it's not released yet but you're are you feeling the burn yet or are you excited every day to work on it a bit more well i would say a little column a little column b uh I, I can definitely imagine a version of myself where I'm not writing this book, and that version of myself has a lot more free time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's taking up nights and weekends. I don't think people realize like you have a job as well, unless you stopped your work. But it's like nights, weekends. All yeah, time. no, I, I have not stopped my work. I, I have a very patient girlfriend who you know 
is okay with being like, what are we going to do this weekend? The answer is I'm going to write. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm going to do this weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, on the one hand it's, it's, it is a huge amount of work and it's a huge amount of effort. And, um, uh, at least I don't know what it's like for, um, self-publishing people, but certainly, uh, this is not the right way to get rich if you're a programmer. Um, probably the right way to get rich if you're a programmer is to either start a company that gets, you know, hugely successful or, uh, become a consultant, uh, writing a book, you know, is not, uh, super lucrative, at least uh, not for me. Maybe, maybe you folks have a different experience than I do. Uh, I have that question here too. So maybe we could do them at the same time as we're talking about the weird regret question that I planted. Okay. But was the, was the, are you, we don't need to talk about actual numbers cause that can just be a little awkward. So let's not, but could you, um, financially, was it also worth it? And can you imagine, like, it seems like so few people try to make a career out of it. Is it even possible? Could you be a professional tech book writer? Or is that just like not? How gonna... many boats do I get if I write a book? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, so for me personally, uh, I'll, I'll just jump in and, and answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I honestly kind of did the math ahead of time and I said to myself, I don't know that this is going to be worth it, but I just want to do it anyway. Um, even if I don't end up making, you know, $5 off of it, uh, I just kind of really want this book to exist. And uh, and I think that's, uh, that's going to be worth it. Um, on the one hand, it is a ton of work. On the other hand, it's extremely rewarding work and I really enjoy it. Um, and I, I love hearing people say that, you know, like, this book, you know, uh, got me into this language. This book got me into functional programming, things like that. Um, that to me is, is sort of the the most valuable part. And to be honest, you know, I I, I think that probably uh, I assume that it's not going to make me enough money that I could you know live off of being an author. But um, when I talk to my friends who are like fiction authors and things like that, uh, the consensus seems to be that if you want to make a living as an author, you kind of need quite a few books um, and you need to have sort of a steady royalty stream coming in from all of them. And I don't see myself as someone who wants to go down that road just because I like programming too much. Um, I, I, you know, I still have a job, you know, programming every day and I love it. And I sort of wouldn't want to give that up um, to become an author, even as much as I do like writing as well. So Simon, would you have written this book if if you knew you were only going to make five dollars on it? Or would that have been? <laughs> well, uh, this book's been out since January, oh, so okay. I I have some, uh, you know, there there have been some royalty payments, but uh, not not anything worth speaking of. You know, I mean, I really think that is the case that it isn't. I mean, I don't structure my life where I spend my time doing only the things that will make me absolutely the most money. If I did, I'd probably be in a, 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 a different profession, um, and a worse person probably. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the, I think of the, any kind of royalties as being really a bonus. Um, the, uh, the hope is that it's more of a door opener to, uh, to, to different conversations or, um, participating in things that I may not have been invited to before or, you know, the, those, those sorts of things where, um, people, people get in touch because the, because of the book. And, you know, the, the process of writing is one that definitely like, you know, 75% of the way through, I was really ready for it to be done. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was only creating, you know, I was, I, I felt like, I had to stop consuming anything. Like I read no other books and I really didn't like consume a lot of other media even because I was using spare time to write. And if I was to do it again, I think that, and I, and I think I would, I would do it again. Um, but that I would make sure that I was doing it at a time in which I could structure my time more, um, intentionally around it because, uh, the timing was absolutely awful. You know, I, I complete, I, I, I wrote the first manuscript or the, I wrote the, the first draft of the manuscript over a eight month period. And it was, um, a period in which I was working full time. I was, um, 
moving to Pittsburgh. I was buying a house. I was planning a wedding. I was living in a different city than my now wife. So, you know, a huge amount of the book was written um, while on planes or buses or trains uh, and just kind of in these in-between times. Well, how long of a span of time was it? I think that's kind of interesting. It's like it's hard to, like if it took you two years to write it, it's hard to know, it's hard to plan your life know what you're going to be doing 18 right. months from now. Well, in this case, it was it uh, was eight months. Okay. That's still a and pretty long chunk of time. It is. and But I think that, you know, for, for me, my personality, I think I'd rather have that intense period um, and then and then have it be done than to have... Uh, that does sound had, appealing, right? To just be like, I, no, I'd go into a cave or whatever. I, I, I fantasize about that too. Like if I'm going to do this again, I'd rather just have no other responsibility other than that and just knock it out. It might even be a better book because of it, because of that focus. Yep. So, you know, I, I didn't quit my job, but I did cut out other personal projects and um, just focused on this. Has enough time went by, Val, to know if 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 designing interface animations has been worth it financially, or or was it worth it for other reasons? Um, I don't. I mean, kind of like like um, yeah, kind of like everyone else was saying. I don't know if writing a book like that in its own is ever like a financially viable thing. Like, I don't expect to be able to live off writing this. Um, I, actually, I would think if you, if you, if it was a, if it was a question on uh, family feud or something <laughs> that most pe- people would assume that being an author is a career. Right. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Dave has better sound effects for that. Yeah. I've worked my soundboard. It's just like, if, yeah, you, if you ask a hundred people on the street, if being an author is a job or not, they'd say yes. And it's like weird. Cause it's kind of not, but it is kind of like you were saying earlier, Chris, like my family is like, oh my God, you wrote a book. You're like, they feel like, you know, like I've accomplished a thing. And I'm like, oh, Billy Shakespeare over here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, I've been working on this stuff for years and I've been like, you know, running my own company and consulting and teaching workshops and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, whatever. No big deal. But you wrote a book. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of the outside perspective is very different. But I think, I mean, re- I didn't write it for whatever money is going to come out of it. Like, I wanted to, even if, like you said, if I, if I only made $5 from writing this book ever, I would still write it. I really wanted to, to share this stuff. And I felt like there was a need for having all of this information in one place and giving people some guidance on how to get this done. You know, answering those big questions I get all the time when I teach workshops and do talks. So when I hear from people that are like, oh, I read your book and I learned so much. Uh, I talked to a design team at at, uh, a rather big company uh, earlier this week and they were like, hey, we followed some of the steps in your book and we're working on our motion style guide and these things worked for us really well. And I thought that was really like, that is why I wrote it is to help out, like help a design team come to a solution faster or something like that. Like that's, that's kind of the more rewarding part. Um, and I intentionally did not track how many hours I put in to write the book because I don't want to know. <laughs> if I ever did that math or had the, you know, had the information or the data to do that math, I'm sure the numbers would be depressing. So I just never tracked my time on the book. I'm in exactly the same boat on that. Yeah. I don't want to know. Don't want to know. <laughs> many hours. I definitely gave up a lot of stuff. Like pretty much every other one of my side projects has suffered and not been worked on in months. But uh, yeah. We, we don't need to know exactly how many hours that took. I'm doing the same thing with my kitchen remodel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to know how much it costs because I will be sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, but when it's uh, you'll be like, that happens so quickly. And I think writing books is was, like that too. You're like, oh yeah, it took me like five minutes. Meanwhile, you forgot all those nights. You're like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, question, I have a kind of a similar follow-up question, but uh, and I don't mean to be bummers, but it, like <laughs> I, I, everyone's, yeah, sorry, violating the the no bummer rule. But the the so writing a book, it, you're, people have said you know drop things like eight months, years uh, to kind of like hash th- these thoughts out. Does does writing a book kind of take you out of a, the game? Are you if you dedicate this time, do you, you know you're kind of like moving away from side projects or other learnings to focus on one topic, does it kind of put put horse blinders on you or, or have you found it easy to stay kind of up to speed on things 
Uh, we can start with Val. We'll just keep doing our semicircle. <laughs> Imagining us all sitting around in a circle. Um, I think, yeah, I think it, it. other things do suffer, right? Like you have to be super focused on it because, you know, um, otherwise how do you keep that train of thought, right? Like every day you need to work on it a little bit to keep it going so you're not, you know, so it doesn't take you like five years to write a book. You know, attempting to have that concentrated time period is definitely something I was attempting to go for. But, you know, there's still like life and like work and clients and, you know, like you can't just stop everything. Uh, I'm amazed at how anyone manages to write a book while having like a proper full-time job. I don't know if I could have done that. The fact that I had control over my like, did you work have schedule. A, did you like wake up and go to the coffee shop and write 500 words? Or was it way more random than that? Or did you attempt any structured writing time? Yeah, I had a couple of tricks. Like I tried that near the end. I would go to the coffee shop around the street, around the corner, around the street, whatever. I like 7 a.m. and write until like 10. And I did that for a few weeks near the end just to be like this. I just need to finish this. Like I'm so close to the I end. Can, I have to finish I it. Can vouch for um, but before yeah, Brad was there. <laughs> And by the way, the baristas at that coffee shop think me and Brad are both fiction writers. Uh. <laughs> they never asked what our books were about, but they knew we were there to write books, and they've assumed that we were writing fiction. So, uh. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Point break two coming, man. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> in, this, in this episode, Picard <laughs> and Kirk <laughs> fall in love. Oh, I should tell them it's Star Trek fanfic. That would be great. Yeah, um, that's good. But one thing I did before I did that is I would have little post-its on my wall with a word count for every chapter, and I would like cross it off as I wrote more towards the chapter just to have that kind of like sense of like I'm accomplishing a thing, I'm making progress, I'm getting closer to the end. And that was really helpful, even though I wasn't always writing at the same time of day. And like, like Simon, sometimes I was writing on planes, which actually was, I'm not very productive on planes, but whatever. I could still cross off that number and add a bigger number to the word count and be like, yes, I, I made some progress. Uh, Simon, what was kind of your kind of in-depth process like? And then like, do you feel like it took you out of kind of other things? Yeah, I mean, it definitely kept me from doing other things just from a time standpoint. But I, I, I think about it as um, kind of depth versus breadth. So it was this moment where I was going deep in a particular topic. And, um, you know, there's other times where I'm just doing a little bit in a bunch of areas and, and I, I just need that balance. And so it was, it was good to, you know, I haven't, I haven't been wanting to jump right into another book project because I, uh, it's in that, I'm in that yin or yang. Um, and um, process-wise, I I had to make so try to make time. Um, so I would I would wake up earlier than I was before, and I'm not a morning person at all. And so this is where I discovered the beauty of a programmable coffee pot, because the <laughs> only way that I would wake up is 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 you know actually literally smell the coffee and know that as soon as I got out of bed, I could have caffeine. Um, so I would write. Uh, I would have that time in the morning where I would try to get four or 500 words done um, so that if I didn't get to write later in the day, which I would still try to do, um, I at least made some progress. And that, you know, I, I had gotten that advice that, that trying to write something, even if it's very small every single day um, is important. And, and, and I really found that to be true. Um, and, and, you know, you, you don't realize just how much it's it's something that you're chipping away at, and um, you know. I've heard over- that from a lot of people that you learn that lesson. Apparently, everybody has to learn it every single time they write. Nobody can really yeah. tell it to you, but what you do it's, learn that like public. you gotta write something every day uh, mm-hmm. to get to, to to feel good. Did you did uh, um, do you ever fall out of that flow and like feel weird and guilty about it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially when when traveling or you know my my job had me traveling, uh, kind of unexpectedly at times, and so the you know I'd, I'd be writing on you know while traveling where I could, but it's just you get out of the flow. I mean the the best thing you can do is establish a habit, and um, but the good thing is that I really I really did enjoy. Um, enjoy it once I got into it each day. You know, once I, once I actually sat down and made myself focus on the screen, I would shut off the, I would shut off my internet and, uh, completely disconnect from the network. Wow. That was, that was very, that was, that was There's another trick. There's the, we yeah. got the go to the coffee shop trick, write every day trick, turn off your Wi-Fi trick. 
Lots of tricks. Um, uh, I've, I've like wondered if I could give my partner like like a kill switch on her phone for the, uh, the router. Uh, I think that should exist. But. So well, I think maybe Dave, what I was kind of trying to get at is like you could imagine um, the conference speaker who speaks at you know seventy two conferences a year and writes one hundred and fifty two blog posts a year and that, and that type of thing. And you're like, wow, that's really prolific. But, but do you ever build anything? Like that's what I mean by kind of taking you out of the out of the flow. Like at what point do you stop, you know, having the right to talk about the thing that you talk about because all you ever do is talk about it. <laughs> uh, that's a I don't know. That's a, a different conversation. But Richard, you were building an Elm app to write an Elm book, so you were in the flow. Um, but was it a real Elm project or like, how did you, did you have to think about that and combat that? Like, is what I'm building real enough? Well, honestly, uh, the, the, the application that you're building up is definitely, you know, it's, it's pretty obviously contrived as something that, you know, you're, you're building up in order to learn. So the idea is to, is to sort of mimic the structure of building a real application. But I mean, honestly, you know, uh, it's not something where I built it because I really, it's like a photo, you know, browsing app. It's not, uh, not something that I, I would ever actually use myself. Um, and, uh, but I think, uh, these are all really interesting questions. Um, and, and they sort of resonate with me. These are things that I've thought about too. Um, for me personally, at least the, the answer of how do you stay in the game? How do you, um, keep current and, and keep your knowledge relevant and applicable while writing is just to not have a social life for these two years. Um, <laughs> So, right, right. Like we talked about balance and I'm just like, oh, I just have no balance. There's just like, you know, I used to go to a board game meetup every Monday and they just haven't seen me in a year. Um, And it's basically uh, the way that I've been trying to conceptualize it is uh, I don't have kids, but I have friends who have kids and listening to them talk about having kids is it's sort of this, you know, like for the first like year or two, they're just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, this your kids become a huge, you know, part of your life. And uh, that's just a natural way that the world works. And you just accept that. And so I'm like, well, if they can do that with kids, uh, I think I can do that with uh, this book and just kind of be like, well, this is going to eat my free time, but that's what I want. Uh, and I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, and I, I'm definitely familiar with the uh, I've, uh, planes are great because especially if they don't have Wi-Fi, because then you can't, accidentally get Wi-Fi. You can't turn it back on, right? You're just sort of stuck without Wi-Fi for a few hours or even just like on the train. So I, I've written a good chunk of element action on the San Francisco Muni. Just uh, if it's not too crowded and there's enough place to sit and open my laptop, I'll just, yeah, that's, you know, 20 minutes of writing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like not having an internet connection is sometimes a pretty good thing because as, as long as you don't need to look anything up, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good way to avoid distractions. So I kind of guess, Brad, do you want to kind of approach, like, does it take you out of the game or are you very much in the game? Uh, Yeah. You guys are, you guys are essentially describing my life. It's basically someone that's trying to, yeah, just speaking at a bunch of conferences, trying to write a book, trying to write a blog post, trying to be active in the community and on Twitter and now on Gitter and now on (laughs) All these things, and I just have like side project after side project, and thing after thing, and client work, and I'm on a plane pretty much every week, and and uh, uh, I mean I am struggling with that. I mean that's beyond just books, but like the book for me is this like extra big dark cloud that just sort of follows me around whenever, and like I'm looking at my. WordPress admin right now. I have 106 blog drafts. Um, and, and that has taken me out of the game. Like, I feel so guilty. And that's like, I, the things that I'm passionate about or things that I really want to cover, want to share, I'm like, no, I can't do it because I have to finish this book. <laughs> like, it, it is, it's such a weird mental gymnastic sort of thing. But I'll say that, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm, you know, guilty as charged. Like, I, I try to do everything all the time, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily a healthy, <laughs> like, lifestyle, especially whenever you get, like, client work in the game where it's like you're actually on the hook to deliver, like, real stuff that, you know, has actually been cross-browser tested and stuff like that. It's like that is, a, you know, that's a, a commitment in and of, it, in and of itself. 
So then the work game takes you out of the book game, mm-hmm. and then you. And, and they're they're wildly different yeah. mindsets too, as you might imagine, right? Like a, a project working on a team is a very social activity, whereas like a book is a very sort of like <laughs> like we're all saying, shut off the Wi-Fi, get on a plane, like put on like the headphones or whatever, and 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 sort of get the thing done. It's like to be able to sort of switch minds like that uh, is is ultra challenging. Hmm. Um, okay, so kind of final question, if that's okay with everybody. Um, I, what's the difference in your mind between a book and 10 blog posts? Because I could write 10 blog posts, stitch them up, it takes 30 minutes, bingo, bingo, I got a book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's that easy. Um, what's the difference between the, the two? And we'll, I guess we'll go around our semicircle one more time. Uh, Brad, what's like, what you write a lot of blog posts, hundreds. So what's the difference between, like 10 of your blog posts in the book. As far as the actual words and content goes, not it's not very different. I'll say that from a mentality from an authoring standpoint, it is so incredibly wildly different. Uh, I'm like terrified of getting the words in my book right whereas with blog posts I'm like like just just Fart out, the, fart out the words and, and people get it. And like very often I'll just hit the publish button and have like four people on Twitter go, uh, you have an unfinished sentence here, <laughs> unfinished sentence here, spelled this wrong. And I'm like, cool, thanks. And then like done and dusted with a book. Obviously it's like supposed to be this, you know, permanent thing. And I guess eventually for me, it will be like a, you know, dead tree sort of artifact, I guess. So it's like the, the stakes are a lot higher, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally, like I've talked to Jonathan Snook about like his writing process and stuff, and he's basically like, yeah, I just like wrote some blog posts and sort of and, and treated them that way and sort of stitched them together. For me, I'd say it's more of like a each chapter is a bit of like a rolling theme, I guess. Uh, that could probably be each H two is uh, probably its own blog post for sure. Um, so so again, yeah, like that. That's sort of how I'm thinking about it. But again, like the, the authoring sort of like mentality uh, is way different. Richard, did you feel the same or, or what's what in your mind was the difference between a book and 10 blog? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I think I, I would uh, maybe distill that down to just number of revisions, like just the amount of time that you spend revising it and making it all coherent and uh, sort of high quality. I've definitely put out my share of blog posts, but yeah, I don't spend nearly as much time on the same number of words that are going into a blog post as I do that same word count going into this book. Um, I'd say the other thing that that comes to mind that's related to that is just that I have an editor and she does a great job. I mean, she, she catches stuff, you know, not like small things like typos, like, you know, copy editing, but just like, hey, you talk about this concept, but you actually haven't introduced it yet. Or you talk about this thing before you talk <laughs> oh. about that thing, right? And it's like when you're trying to put something cohesive together, um, having somebody who's not only, you know, a, a second pair of eyes, but somebody who is like their whole job is being really good at finding stuff like that. I just, you know, I don't have that when I write a blog post and it shows. Yeah. Simon, does IDEO let you blog? I'm not, not, they might have rules. Uh, But what's what's in your mind, the difference between like a book and 10 blog posts? Yeah, my, I I don't write a ton of blog posts, but I mean, I think that each of these chapters could have been, you know, a very long yeah, post. I think you kind of even said you, it was like a series of long essays that yeah, kind of and and I think if in 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 some ways um, people's response to that might be different. You know, it might actually reach a it could even reach a wider audience because it can uh, obviously people can just go and access it. But um, I think the difference in the way that I approach the writing um, is that I tried to think about. With this being a book, how could it? I, tr- I thought I thought about it lasting for a longer period of time. I think you know, even though technically things are up on the internet for you know potentially forever, um, they're, you're kind of reading what's been posted recently, right? Or it's it it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily um, it isn't necessarily always approached, or the way that I approach it isn't always something that's going to have longevity. And so I think about the 
the time or care that I took in revising um, and, and crafting things to be a bit different. And then there's some just practical uh, differences from a legal standpoint in terms of um, images that I use to illustrate different examples that I'm writing about. You know, if it's a blog post, I just kind of grab an image from everywhere. Maybe I would think to uh, note where it came from. Uh, but in the book, a big part of the process was um, getting images of these different products that that I was writing about, and uh, you know that's something that I uh, again worked with my collaborator Quinn on. A lot of them he took because we couldn't actually get the rights to use the the images that already existed of these products. Had to buy products and photograph them because people. You know, it's a full range of uh, responses from people that just say no and don't give you a reason to people that are happy to to be included in the book you're writing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, and then, Val, what's, in your mind, the difference between a book and 10 blog posts? Oh, wow. So many of the things that everyone else has said, too. It, you know, it's like it's a lot longer than 10 blog posts for me, I think. Like, I feel like every chapter maybe could have been a really long blog post, but even then I'm like, they're kind of more specific and more like more researched, I guess. There's something about it being in a book that makes it feel more, more final, you know, where you feel like, Oh, I can't just say this thing. I better make sure it really, really <laughs> is true. <laughs> you know, when a oh, blog post is like, yeah, yeah. things, <laughs> facts, whatever. And it is really weird. Like I kind of had a bit of like a panicky few moments when like realizing, you know, I had hit the point where I could not edit anymore, where like this was, this had gone, the book had gone to layout, it had gone to the indexing person. I couldn't change anything. It wasn't like a website where I could just go, you know, go log into the CMS, change some stuff, update some things. And that was a really crazy moment to be like, oh crap, this is going to print. I can't change anything at all. That was such a weird feeling, you know, to have it be so permanent. Um, I, I mean, I guess like people that work in print and books all the time are like, yeah, that happens every day. But for me, it was like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> I don't understand this feeling. This is weird. Um, and, you know, obviously there'd been tons of opportunities to review it and check it and everything before that. But like that last time when Marta, my editor was like, this is your last chance to make any changes. I was kind of like, <gasps> oh no, like that's never happened for me for a blog post. No one's ever told me that for a blog post. <laughs> so I think that was kind of the biggest thing of like it being more permanent and um, yeah, just feeling like it had to last longer in that sense. Um, and I don't think I've ever written a blog post as long as some of these chapters. <laughs> it, it's like there's, you know, when, you, when you're thinking of it as a chapter, you kind of feel like you need, almost feel like you need to add more or something. Like it needs to be more of a, a thing that covers more than maybe just a quick blog post. So there's definitely a lot of that where of like, did I say everything I needed to say about this kind of thing? Where with a blog post, I would never, I'd just be like, ah, eh, I can edit it later or add well, a second blog post if I feel like Less it. satisfying in a way. Like the publishing of the book is immensely satisfying, so that feels good. But I'm so used to, as a longtime blogger, writing something, reading it over, feeling pretty happy with it. And then I'm like, all right, where's the publish button? Where's the, or can I, you know? But you're like, no, this is going to have to wait. <laughs> An untold number of months for anybody that's, to see that's it. That's why I'm glad I did it my way. I would I would finish a, a big chunk of text and then would publish it and just like like link right to the anchor of it. So I'd right. say I'd say like again I right. that and that sort of was very motivating because I get like immediate feedback and like people that you know would read it and say this doesn't make sense or like oh have you seen this blog post or oh this person wrote about this and then i'd like weave that back into the text is awesome yeah i i had a a, the val's point really resonates with me because um i have this one blog post called building a live validated sign up form in elm and it's on our company blog and uh i work at uh, no red inc and we use elm in production a lot um and we're hiring by the way uh and uh and, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's sort of an important post because it just assumes no Elm knowledge, no functional programming knowledge, just JavaScript knowledge and sort of walks you through building a, a sign-up form from start to, uh, to finish. And um, and so a lot of people like to reference it and link to it. Um, but the thing is, you know, it's it's a it's a programming language. It changes. And so sort of like every time a new edition comes out of the language, I sort of need to go update that blog post. 
And, uh, and, you know, you can't do that with a book. You can't just, uh, just say, oh, well, well, the, the language changed a little bit. So time for a new edition. Um, I'll just like over the weekend, you know, <laughs> hack out, hack out a new revision of the whole book. Um, that doesn't really work. Yeah. You have to trail the technology a bit. That's tough. Well, uh, I want to say thanks everyone for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, real quick, if people aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? We'll just do this as quick as possible. Val, go ahead. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm VLH. Um, and you can find my site at valhead.com where I have links to the book and also a newsletter I send out every week about the same topic. Cause apparently I'm not done talking about it after reading, writing a book. That's, Who knew? That's promising. Uh, Simon, <laughs> how can people give you money and follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon King and I got a website for the book that there's not much there, but there is links where you can buy it. It's beetlebook.com. There's a beetle on the cover of it. Oh, yes. it's a, You got the beetle. The Lucky. violet ground beetle. Ooh, beautiful. Uh, Richard? Uh, R.T. Feldman on Twitter, and I have a pinned tweet at the top that uh, links to the book. Perfect. And Brad? Brad underscore Frost on Twitter. Bradfrost.com for my in, now infrequent writings. But uh, the, the link to the book is atomicdesign.bradfrost.com. And there's a... Uh, you could read the whole thing in its entirety and pre-order the thing for 10 bucks and all that. Okay, great. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to add? What's what's the difference between a book and 10 blog posts, Chris? Oh, the book with uh, your average blog post doesn't make nearly as much money, I'm afraid. You oh, because <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, the difference is uh, I have 10 blog posts and I don't have a book. So... <laughs> um. We'll have to figure that one out. Well, thanks, everyone, for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, be sure to Starheart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show uh, and tweet about it. Or uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one. People want to hire you. With that all said, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to add? Mm, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs> 